Hello and welcome to the Longshot Podcast. I am your host, Davis Reed, and I am once again here without my co-host. As he remains locked in on trying to win a championship, I might be without my co-host, but I am never alone because I'm joined once again by Harry. Harry, what's going on? I'm doing well, Davis. I'm I'm happy to be here. Again, I got I got big shoes to fill, but uh <laughs> I'm I'm doing my best. You're doing no, you're doing great. I'll tell you what, the reviews in the two episodes that you've been a part of have just been five star. And I think it has nothing to do with me. I think it has a lot to do with what you're bringing to the table. So I I appreciate that. But here's the thing. Uh, This one's a short, punchy episode. We're going to keep it uh, small, but action packed. Think of it like a, like a Jose Alvarado episode, if you will. Um, Just sort of get straight to some three point analysis that I did. This is maybe in the spirit of our podcast name, uh, but I took a deep dive into the three-point shot in the NBA this year because some funky stuff was going on. And I thought, you know, I now have a platform where I can share this information with the world, which is such an honor, uh, something I'm, I'm very fortunate uh, uh, to have. So I want to get to that. Uh, before we do, I feel like maybe, Harry, I should offer a quick disclaimer just because I, I obviously have a bias towards three point shooting. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hide from that. <laughs> I can I consider my co host uh, to be one of the greatest shooters who's ever lived. Watching him shoot a basketball is sort of like. Do you remember that Japanese uh, robot at the Olympics? Yeah. Did you ever see that? The, yeah, yeah, yeah. W- w- watching Duncan shoot sort of gives me a little bit of that emotion. I actually, <laughs> I remember I remember when we were at Exeter. I think I've told this story. I might have told this story the first episode we ever did. Duncan and I were giving a little background on our friendship. And I remember the first open gym we had at Phillips Exeter back in 2012. We played basketball for an hour and a half, uh, sort of an opportunity to get to know everybody. And then we were just sitting on the sidelines, you know, undoing our shoes, getting ready to move on with the day. And Duncan stayed out there and he was just shooting. And someone was under the basket rebounding for him. And I swear, the rebounder didn't move for 10 minutes. Just catch it out of the net, throw it back to him. And Duncan's at the top of the key just raining threes. And, you know, we're 17, 18 years old at this point. And I've, at that point, I had played some high-level basketball. I'd seen some good basketball players. But I remember, I distinctly remember that moment and having this thought of like, yeah, I've never seen anything like this before it was it was robotic it really was i i said that sarcastically but actually that story it was very robotic that was i remember feeling like this looks like someone's playing a video game like <laughs> it's just it's the same thing over and over again it was ridiculous so anyway this is all uh up the point of this is me saying the breakdown that i'm getting to here in this episode is about how three-point production and efficiency took a major hit this year in the nba uh any way you look at it, you can cut the data a couple different ways, but the numbers are down. And I'm a data guy. I worked in data analysis before I started this podcast. So I spend uh, time on basketball reference combing through NBA data. That's not something I'm necessarily proud of. I should maybe find a better way to use my time, uh, but it's something that I do. So the, the numbers jumped out to me. And again, I now have this platform where I can share this story with the people. So is it a defense of three-point shooters? Yes and no, kind of, I guess. But either way, I think you guys will will find it interesting. And uh, you know, hopefully you can walk away from this saying, I learned something today. That's that's really the goal. Um I, I've got a question for you. What yeah, is please. what is 
your three point shot looking like? Like, oh. do, do you have a, a, a stroke? It's it's not good anymore. It was it used to be pretty solid. It was sort of what I uh, prided myself on. Was I was a three point line to three point line guy, not not that different from from Duncan actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, very rarely went into the lane. Like that was sort of forbidden territory. That was where like the big strong uh, monsters lived. I was you know defensively I didn't want to get down there, and on offense I had no business <laughs> around the rim. So. I was the point guard who threw passes to the better players and shot threes whenever I could. Um, now I don't play enough basketball where, you know, shooting's one of those things that I actually are, uh, we've referenced this guy around you a lot now because Duncan and I, one of our best friends is Harry, uh, who's the assistant for the women here at Michigan. And the other day he texts me, he's like, hey, come to the gym, let's get a workout in. I was like, awesome, great. It's a huge luxury that I have somebody who can get me into the Michigan athletic facility and I can work out. It's awesome. And we get there and he's like, all right, our warm up is we have to make 50 NBA threes. <laughs> and I haven't shot a basketball in six months. So I'm like, okay, that, that sounds awesome. But I have no idea how long this is going to take. Yeah. And uh, he's, a, he's a good basketball player. He's been a good basketball player for a long time and he still is playing a lot of basketball. So I have no shame saying that he has the upper hand on me in this exercise. So we're at opposite ends of the, the court, and we each have to make 50 threes. He ends up doing it, 50 NBA threes, mind mm-hmm. you. He ends up doing it in like seven minutes or something impressive. And I remember he's sort of an asshole. He's, you know, he's, okay. my, in, he's in my wedding. He's a groomsman, but he's, uh, uh, he's one of my best friends in the world. But yep. he, he wanted to let me know that he was a better shooter than me. And he even admitted this afterwards. Like he had never done it as quickly as he did it that day because there was the extra motivation. Yep. And so he did, he did it in like seven minutes and he was counting them out loud because he just knew that I was behind him. <laughs> And when he got to 50, I was at 25. Mm. So he he did it twice as, you know, he got there. I was only half the, so that was a shot to the ego. I ended up, you know, it picked up momentum. My point of this story is it was really bad to start. You know, it took me about five minutes to make 10 threes. It was bad. But then, you know, it's like riding a bike. It starts to come back. So shooting is something I'll always uh, have some pride in being able to do, but you do have to, you know, grease the wheels every once in a while. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, uh, so anyway, this, this breakdown gets into s- some of the things I'm seeing in the NBA this year. Um, how three point shooting is down. I mean, Steph Curry shot 38% from three this year, which is really all you need to know. He's the undisputed greatest shooter of all time. Never really even sniffed 40% in his career and he's 38 this year. So there's some funky stuff going on with the three point shot. And I thought it uh, deserved a, a deep dive. So We'll get to that. But before we get to that, I do have some miscellaneous playoff thoughts that, Harry, I just want to run by you. Because, again, I now have this platform where I can share my thoughts with the people. And especially now that Duncan's away, I think it gives us a little more room just to make this all about me. This is now my (laughs) podcast, my my show. I have random thoughts that I just think are are, maybe are not at all worth sharing. Uh, But I'm going to do it. And I would love your... If you have any thoughts on any of these, just just what you think. So this is just throughout the week. I was just writing down miscellaneous thoughts that came to mind when watching basketball because I've watched more basketball this week than ever in my career probably just because we're doing this podcast now. And so I feel like I need to be up to speed with everything going on in the NBA. And it's just been an awesome playoff. So as I'm watching games, I'm just writing down some thoughts. And, and the first one I have on this list here is 
Desmond Bain looks like the football player that's on every high school basketball team. <laughs> and, you know, it's the guy who's like a freak athlete, stronger than everybody else on the court. You know not to mess with him. Doesn't really know how to move that well. And this is not no this is no longer a comparison to Desmond Bain, but just that, that football player doesn't really know how to move that well, but rebounds, sets vicious screens, will just barrel his way to the rim every once in a while, and everyone knows to get out of the way. If you just turned the sound off, wipe away jersey numbers and names, and just watched like 10 seconds of a Memphis Grizzlies game, and you happen to catch 10 seconds where Desmond Bain isn't shooting a three because he shot like 44% from three this year, you would... I think you could be confused that maybe you were watching a high school basketball game and he was like the star <laughs> linebacker. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, um, so that just, that jumped out to me. They, that really does take me back to, to my time in Michigan, the, the uh, one or two months every year where the football players would come to the uh, CCRB out here at Michigan. <laughs> I, de I definitely, you know, Bain's got a little bit more, uh, uh, juice than, than that maybe no he's a beast I mean again we so this is actually a little foreshadowing into my three-point breakdown because we get to I get to some Desmond Bain uh, points but he doesn't make it into the top 25 guys in attempts in the NBA this year but he was shooting way better percentage-wise. He's right on the cusp, and he's shooting way better than everybody who's in that top 25 group. He shot like 43.5% from three this year on high volume, which is ridiculously good. I mean, I'd like to point out that my co-host was 45% on higher volume uh, a couple years ago, but but point being, uh, he yeah, Desmond Bain has had a, an unbelievable, an unbelievable shooting year. So my, my second takeaway is that I'm seeing a lot of net slander on the timeline instead of Celtics credit. And so I just want to take a second to say the Celtics are terrifying. As somebody who's rooting for the Heat, wanting them to come out of the East, they scare me probably the most. And I get that it's fun to pile on KD, to pile on Ben Simmons, to pile on Kyrie, but I think it's getting a little out of hand. And especially the Ben stuff, by the way. I think bringing him back in the playoffs was always a terrible idea. Uh, it, I can't believe that he was even an option. This guy clearly hadn't played basketball in over a year. He was going through some mental stuff. To throw him into a playoff game for the first for him to play his first basketball live action just seemed like it only really could have backfired. Uh, and it just it's it's piling a lot on a guy who's dealing with some stuff. So that slander's out of control. Celtics are really good. They scare me. And I think the narrative should be how impressive they are rather than how bad the Nets were. Because I still think the Nets beat a lot of teams in the East in that first round. They just happened to draw the Celtics who are rolling right now. No, and, and you know, you talked earlier about using a platform. If there's one thing I have tried to do with this, you know, sliver of platform I've been given by the long shot, it is to, you know, say bad things about the city of Boston. So... <laughs> I, I, I might be, you know, p part of the problem, but I will say that the, the Celtics do have the, an interesting kind of way their team together has come together. It's like the least sexy way where it wasn't addition by addition or addition by subtraction. It was like addition by moving Marcus Smart to the point guard, you know, yeah. like it's like one of the, uh, it seems like the most subtle shift that could 
actually result in like totally changing a team's identity. So I do think the Celtics are, are have snuck up on people who you know who who don't realize how important having him as that defensive anchor at at, at point guard. A hundred percent agree. I also think if we could get, I don't want to foreshadow. You don't want to uh, wish away series, or you don't want to uh, you know look past series. But if you could get a Miami Heat Boston Celtics Eastern Conference Finals. That would just be a defensive bloodbath, an absolute defensive bloodbath. So I'm with you. I also, I think you slandering the city of Boston is different than not giving their basketball team enough credit. So I'm going to let you off the hook on that front. Um, Okay. My third takeaway, I'm going to, we'll go five takeaways. My third takeaway is I need to apologize to Devin Booker. Not that I know Devin Booker and not that Devin Booker is going to hear this, but I I might have done this on the podcast. I definitely did it off the podcast with Duncan. I told him that Devin Booker should not be in the MVP conversation. Off the pure fact that I get that he's the best player on the best team. His numbers were awesome. I saw some stat that guys who have averaged 25, 5, and 5 on teams that won 65-plus games or whatever the Suns did, 60-plus games, I think had always won MVP. There were only like a handful of other examples, and those guys all won MVP. I got that. But my argument was the Suns are so good. They're so deep that they won most of their games without Devin Booker in the regular season. The most valuable player, I think, should go to a guy like Jokic or a guy like Embiid, who clearly are boosting their team above where they would be without them. And I didn't think Devin Booker was like that. I need to retract that statement because the Suns look human in round one. And that's not to discount the Pelicans. They've been awesome. They played really well. But the Phoenix Suns should not be in a bloodbath with the New Orleans Pelicans. And a lot of that is because Devin Booker is not there. So I admit, I apologize, Devin Booker. You clearly are more important to the Phoenix Suns than I originally thought. Uh, no, I'm with you. And it, it, it's, it's, he, early in his career, he, the, the rap on him was like good stats, bad team or whatever. And it's funny how it seems to have switched now where he's like the exact guy you want in a playoff series. Right. And, it, it, you know, his, his, the, what he can do in ISO scoring against like really locked in playoff defense is just so incredible. He's, yeah. Um, yeah. It's also the value of having people down the stretch who can score is the most important thing in the playoffs. And the other night you saw in game five, Pelicans, uh, Suns, Chris Paul is just huffing and puffing at halftime. And you're thinking, oh no, down the stretch, it's going to have to be Chris Paul. If he's tired, that's not good. And they ended up pulling out the win anyway. But to have two guys, and we talked about this during our awards, the Phoenix Suns, how clutch they are. And I believe we nominated Chris Paul, not Devin Booker, but Devin Booker could have easily been in that conversation as well, because they're both elite down the stretch. Their clutch stats are amazing. So to have both those guys down the stretch is going to be incredibly valuable for the Suns, assuming they can get past the Pelicans, but who knows? I, I'm all on the Pelicans bandwagon, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, fourth takeaway. This is a short one. It's pretty simple. It's one I think you're going to like, Harry. Clay Thompson is so awesome. He's just the man. Continues to be my favorite player in the NBA, uh, other than my co-host <laughs> and the people that I know personally. <laughs> I am just a fan. I'm a full-on fan, and he has been so amazing. I mean, he's been amazing. We've talked about this on the podcast, but he's been amazing this year in general, just to come back from two injuries and look the way he's looked. But he's now in just elite form again. He's shooting 50% from three in the playoffs, averaging like 25 a game. It's just, 
I can't stress enough how happy it makes me to watch him play basketball. No objections for me. He he looks so good. He also is doing all the things he used to do. You know, maybe he's a little slow on defense, like, you know, a guy who ripped half of his ligaments <laughs> apart right, over the right. last two years. Okay, he's a little slow on defense. But it's just the little ISO post-ups he gets, the the three, he just, he looks so good. So, right, listen. I agree. I agree. All right, last takeaway. Got to get a heat takeaway in here. And we touched on it with the Celtics, but their defense has looked impeccable. They, I, I heard this stat um, somewhere. Wish I could give credit to whoever I heard this from. But in the regular season, the Hawks had the second rated offense, offensive rating in the NBA, just behind Utah. Offensive rating of like 115. In the playoffs, it was 102 which would have been the worst in the NBA in the regular season. And it's because the Heat have just absolutely shut them down. I mean, that I think the Trey Young numbers are well-documented. But again, similar to the, the net slander versus Celtics credit, I'm going to make the same argument here. I don't think this is an indictment on Trey. I tweeted this out yesterday, actually. I don't think his numbers are an indictment on him or that he choked or that he had a bad series. I think instead it's that the Heat were just incredible. And even in Game 5, no Jimmy, no Kyle Lowry— their defense was amazing. And Trey Young said after the game, he's like, it's a scheme. It's their team defensive scheme. They have great individual defenders, but it's not even about that. It's their scheme. If they want to take somebody out of a game, they can do that. So knock on wood, because next round, if they draw Philly, they're going to have to do that again. Hopefully they can, but uh, it's just, it's fun to watch. Uh, no, I'm with you. I, I pulled up a, a clip on Twitter to to see to see if I could find those Trey stats, and instead I found just a, a clip of Trey dribbling the ball down, getting picked up by PJ Tucker, and then they <laughs> run a screen, they switch off, and Bam's on him, and they run another switch, and uh, Jimmy Butler's on him. It's like, well, yeah. <laughs> what are you gonna do? What are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? And by the way, the other guys have been great defensively too. I thought Duncan was awesome in Game Five defensively. He came in and played awesome minutes on the def- on the defensive end, and those guys are so good at team defense. Like they're help defense. They're again, it's not always just what's going on on the ball, but it's the principles of being in the gaps, being in help, being in, you know, taking away. It's just they they've made it look masterful so far. So we'll see. Hopefully that can that can continue. And again, if we get a Miami Heat Boston Celtics Eastern Conference Finals, it's gonna be like sixty to sixty <laughs> with three minutes to go because those teams they're they've just been they've been elite. Um, all right, those are those are my playoff thoughts. I again, I had some more, but I thought I don't know if you guys want to hear them. That my favorite one is that Desmond Bain looks like a high school football player. I was really um, I was bullish on that one. Um, all right, Harry, that's all I got. I want to get to I want to get to this three point analysis, a deep dive into the three point shot in uh, in twenty twenty two. Our next partner has a product that I have told you guys repeatedly, and I mean it, I use every day. Athletic Greens. I take AG1 because it gives me the kick I need in the morning. It's got everything I need. I don't waste any time. I simply mix it with a cup of water, guzzle it down to start the day before I eat anything else, and all of a sudden, my day is way more likely to be fantastic because I now know I've taken care of my gut health. I'm going to have more energy. I'm going to optimize my immune system, 
and I don't have to take pills or vitamins. Actually, when I was a kid, I couldn't swallow pills or vitamins. I had to try to crush them up, put them in my applesauce. I'm not 100% sure that I could swallow pills regularly now if I needed to. With AG1, I don't have to worry about it. I just mix it in a glass of water. It tastes delicious, and I can drink it right down. It's like I'm just having a nice treat in the morning. I've actually let it sort of replace my coffee. I didn't love that I was uh, developing a little bit of a coffee dependency, and I'm telling you that the Athletic Greens has sort of taken away that urge too because I'm now starting my morning with AG1 instead of a cup of coffee. And then by the time that I've finished it, I'm, I'm good to go. My day has started. And I've absorbed 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to make sure that my day started right. So check this out. If you're interested in checking out AG1 Athletic Greens, we're going to make it easy for you because they're going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash longshot. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash longshot. Take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I've told you guys this before, but it is worth mentioning again. When I was rocking a suit on my wedding day, it was Indochino. And let me tell you, I don't know if I ever felt sexier. It fit me perfectly because that's what they do. It's custom fit. I remember walking into the shop in Kansas City. They gave me the full experience. It smelled good in there. They had all the materials laid out for me, all the different colors. I got to hand make my suit. It's like, what more can you ask for? And here's the thing. They don't just do suits. They do casual wear. They do nice pants. They do nice shirts. They've got accessories. Everything you need to feel your best. And I, I'm, I'm telling you, I can't stress it enough. It was like this thing was painted on me. I got the exact color I wanted. It felt comfortable. It was lightweight. I got married in August, so it I, it's very hot in Kansas City in August, but this thing kept me cool, and I looked cool. So it was like, what, what more can you ask for? If you've got a big day coming up, getting the perfect look is no big deal with Indochino. Get $50 off any purchase of $3.99 or more by using promo code LS at Indochino.com. That's $50 off a purchase of $3.99 or more at indochino.com. Promo code LS. All right, guys, something weird and a little strange happened in the NBA this year, and you might have missed it unless you spend your days combing through basketball reference like I do. That is not a brag. That is actually a cry for help. But regardless... Something I noticed is that we just wrapped up the first season in a decade where the amount of threes made is less than it was last year. So it took a dip. And that seems strange, right? Like we're in the golden age of talent, top to bottom in the NBA, and we're shooting more threes than ever, by the way. Took over 35 a game. It's just that fewer went in. The percentage dropped. The average hovered just around 36% over that time. This year it dropped to 354 and my first thought was, okay, more guys are shooting threes. To take over 35 a game means that teams are just launching. So inevitably, guys who probably shouldn't be shooting threes are shooting threes. Therefore, maybe the percentage dropped across the league because of that. And that would make a quick, easy story and say, hey, this is just an interesting observation. Here you go. But actually, if you look at the high volume shooters and the guys leading in percentage, you know, so the guys who are doing most of the three-point shooting, their numbers actually drop more significantly from last year. The gap widens, and the story gets a little bit more interesting. So I want to get into all of that data. I'm going to throw a bunch of numbers at you, 
And then I have some hypotheses as to what might be going on, what might be happening. I don't know what the answer is. I think maybe it could be a combination of a few things, but I'll let you guys decide. I'm just here to, to lay out the facts. So let me just provide a little context. Over this span of a decade, here's how many threes are attempted per game from 2012. In 2012, teams were taking 18.4 threes per game on average. And then it just started ramping up like a roller coaster, like the Mamba, which is a Kansas City reference for those of you that don't get it. Great roller coaster. And it takes you up real high. So we go from 18.4 to 20, 21 and a half, 22 and a half, 24, 27, 29, 32, 34, 34 and a half, over 35 this year. So in the 10 years, we effectively double from 18 threes a game to 35 threes a game. The three-point revolution, right? Like we're just launching those things. And this is just based on simple math, right? Like the NBA is prioritizing three over two because mid-range shots go in about 40% of the time and are worth two points, meaning they're worth 0.8 points per attempt. Threes go in 35, 36% of the time and are worth three points, meaning they're worth over a point per attempt. And so NBA offenses are just following this data, following this math, and saying, yeah, we'll trade those mid-range shots for threes. Sorry, DeMar DeRozan, you make the mid-range look like poetry. It's beautiful. I tear up a little bit every time you take a shot. But the math is telling me that I'd rather you take five steps back and launch a three. And that explains how a guy like Darius Baisley shoots four threes a game this past season, makes under 30% of them. I'm going to go out on a limb and say 10 years ago, he probably wouldn't have had the freedom to take four threes a game, but he's an example of the modern NBA and the shots that they're prioritizing. He's also in Oklahoma City, and so maybe somewhere else he wouldn't be shooting four threes a game, but the point is that's happening across the NBA. So that could explain how the league average would be down, right? More guys are shooting threes, including guys that probably shouldn't be, so less shots are going in in total. But Again, you look at the top-end shooters, the guys leading in percentage and attempts, their numbers are even lower this year compared to last. Let's start with the guys leading in three-point percentage. So the top 25 guys who are making threes at the highest rate. And these are qualifying guys, so you can't go six for eight on the year and make it into this group. These are high enough volume, but leading in three-point percentage. Luke Kennard leads this group. He shot about six threes a game this year, shot 45%, which is incredibly good. That group collectively, top 25, shot 41.5% from three this year, which makes sense. They're all very good shooters. Anything above 40 is considered elite, so this group together is elite. However, that's two percentage points lower than that group was last year when they were over 43%, and the lowest it's been for that group collectively since 2015. The story's the same when you look at the guys leading in attempts or the guys taking the most threes per game. That top 25 group is collectively shooting 36.6% from three, down over two percentage points from last year when they were 39%, and the lowest it's been for that group since 2012. So in a decade, that top 25 in attempts has never shot it as bad as they did this season, 36.6%. Put another way, that group of top 25 guys in attempts last season had six guys who were above 40%. So six guys who were in the top 25 in attempts, yet still over that elite mark of 40%. It was Steph, Duncan, Zach Levine, Paul George, Kyrie Irving, Mike Conley. This year, the top 25 guys in attempts, not one is over 40%. Not one guy. Everybody on that list is under 40. Patty Mills and Desmond Bain ranked 26th and 27th, respectively. And Patty was right at 40. Desmond Bain was 43 and a half. 
So both very good, but not one guy in the top 25 was at that mark. One more point to hammer this home. The Miami Heat led the NBA in three-point shooting this year at 37.9%, which is very good, but last year would have ranked eighth and far behind the Clippers who shot 41%. The year before it would have ranked second, and the year before that it would have ranked fourth. So shooting is down every which way you look at it. It's not just league-wide because more guys are shooting threes. It's not just the guys leading in attempts because maybe it's the wrong guys leading in attempts. It's not just the guys leading in three-point percentage, and it's not just at a team level. Any way you look at the data, three-point shooting took a hit this year. So what's going on? Davis, explain it to me, please. I want shots to go in. I do too. I feel you. I don't know what the answer is, but I do have four working theories that I want to explore. The first one is that maybe this is just an anomaly. Shooting fluctuates every year. The numbers dip a little bit. And again, these aren't all-time lows, but it's as low as we've seen in a decade, as low as we've seen in you know six, seven years in some of these categories. But maybe it's just an anomaly. Maybe I'm overthinking it. Maybe nothing matters. This feels like a lazy take and it's boring and it doesn't make for an interesting breakdown. So I'm going to move on, but it's important to float it out. That's theory number one. Theory number two is that maybe shooting is regressing. You know, maybe we've seen the pinnacle of the three-point era. Maybe taking 35-ish threes is the cap. Maybe making 12-ish threes is the cap. Maybe this generation of NBA player spends too much time on TikTok. Maybe they spend too much time playing video games or podcasting. Maybe we'll never see the levels of 2021 shooting again. Maybe that was an all-time high year because it was a high year. But this also seems boring and lazy, and it could be the case. I'm trying to cover all the bases here, but I don't think it's the answer. So let's move on. Theory number three is that maybe defenses are adjusting. And I want to use an NFL example here. Patrick Mahomes came into the league in 2018, broke everyone's brain. The Kansas City Chiefs just rolled people offensively, and he took the previously cursed franchise to an AFC championship in his first year, which they should have won if D4 didn't go offsides, then a Super Bowl victory, then a Super Bowl appearance where we lost to Brady. What can you do? And then another AFC championship in his first four years. And people were like, oh my God, is this guy the greatest ever? And he still might be, but this past season was tough for him. Defenses started to figure things out. They started to drop more guys into coverage. They started to give different looks. They took away his deep threat. And as a result of it, he had his worst quarterback rating of his career this past year. And that makes sense, right? Like these coaches are paid millions of dollars to figure out how to slow down the best guys. Maybe the NBA is just the same. The three-point revolution has been upon us. Teams are prioritizing three over two more than ever. So maybe coaches are starting to figure out ways to take away good shooters from getting good looks. The same way that NFL defenses found out how to take away Tyreek Hill and sometimes Travis Kelsey, although not as often because he's a beast. Maybe the NBA defenses are, are working the same way. I want to use one more example of adjusting and adapting because I think it's incredibly relevant, and that's the story of the North American banana slug. For those of you that don't know, the North American banana slug developed the ability to release this slime whenever a predator tries to eat it. So what happens is it gets so hard for the predator to swallow the slug with this slime that they end up just spitting it back up and the slug gets to scoot away and live its life on, which is a pretty awesome superpower. But here's the thing, raccoons figured this out and they thought, whoa, 
what if I roll the slug in dirt or mud or coat it in some grass or something and then try to eat it? Not only is it way more delicious, but I can now get it down. The slug can't release this slime. And so now raccoons are just going around guzzling down these banana slugs. And that's a beautiful story of evolution and adapting. Maybe the NBA evolves in the same way. Just as raccoons figured out how to eat banana slugs, maybe NBA defenses have found their proverbial dirt on how to cover three-point shooters. And not just cover three-point shooters, but cover good three-point shooters. That's an important distinction, and the Bucks are an example of this. They've consistently been one of the better defensive teams over the last few years, but they also consistently give up the most threes. So good defense doesn't necessarily directly correlate to giving up less threes. Teams are prioritizing threes so much now that they're going to get them up if they want to, but it's making them difficult looks and especially taking away good shooters from getting good looks. Let's use a real-world basketball example. In 2021, the New Orleans Pelicans were really bad defensively to start the year, like all-time bad. They were giving up over 16 threes per game. Now, for context, those Bucks teams that give up threes at a high clip were leading the league the previous year by giving up 14 a game. To start the 2021 season, the Pelicans were giving up over 16, so all-time bad stuff. But then guess what? They changed their coverages. They were originally pulling in weak side defenders and not running a lot of drop coverage and leaving a lot of room for spray out threes and just getting killed by it. But then they changed. They adjusted. They mixed things up. They learned as they went and they figured out which coverages worked and which didn't. And it worked. Teams stopped shooting at such a high clip. The Three-point percentage of their opponents went from like 40% to 36-37, and they ended up finishing the season just giving up over 13 threes per game, which is still bad, but not as many as the Bucks, and not all-time terrible. So maybe that's just what we're seeing. Maybe coaches have figured out which coverages work and which don't, and now it's making it harder for teams to get good three-point looks and make threes at the same rate. This concludes theory number three. Theory number four is that maybe this has nothing to do with defense, maybe it's not an anomaly, and maybe shooting isn't regressing, but maybe instead we can blame everything on that one thing that no one really wants to talk about or maybe isn't allowed to talk about. I don't know about the powers that be, but in case you missed it, the thing that guys are shooting changed this year, and players weren't that subtle about their gripes at the beginning of the season. C.J. McCullough mentioned that players were still adjusting. It was going to take some time. Devin Booker mentioned that the balls felt inconsistent game to game. Paul George said the Wilson ball doesn't have the same feel, the same softness. He also mentioned we should expect to see a lot of bad misses. And Joel Embiid aired his frustrations early in the season at a post-game press conference saying he still wasn't comfortable with the ball. The NBA's response has been to point out that it's difficult to compare numbers year on year. It's hard to say that shooting has changed. And while that's true, there is fluctuation in data regardless. It feels a little bit like them trying to avoid the conversation. I mean, changing the ball is a huge deal. Anybody who plays the game at a high level will tell you that feel and touch matter, and they matter a lot. And this isn't meant to be an excuse. Everybody's playing with the same ball, so it's not like it gives anyone an unfair advantage. But if we're comparing numbers year on year, as we do, or as I do, maybe I'm the only one doing it, and you notice that things have taken a dip, it makes sense that maybe the year that you change the ball, that could be the culprit. So this concludes theory number four. I'm not sure what's going on, but shooting splits do tell a pretty positive story. Because if you look at while things were really bad to start the beginning of the season, like awful, 
post all-star break or the last few months of the regular season, shooting three point shooting was back over 36% where you'd expect it to be and back closer to last year's numbers. The playoffs thus far, three-point shooting is above 36%, again, where you'd expect it to be. And I think this supports the idea that maybe it was just the ball. You know, guys needed a little time to adjust. Things were bad to start the season, and then they got better. Guys figured it out. I mean, these guys are so skilled, so meticulous that they're going to figure it out, obviously. And again, this wasn't meant to be an excuse. However, when looking at those top 25 groups in percentage or attempts, their numbers pre and post all-star break aren't as drastic. Things get a little bit better post all-star, but still far below where you'd expect them to be and far lower than previous years, which I think supports the idea that maybe it is the defense that's adjusted and it's making it harder for these guys to get good looks. And the fan in me wants this to be the case too, right? Like how great would that be? The best basketball minds in the world have cracked the code or are cracking the code on how to make good shooters' lives a little bit more difficult. And that's the cyclical nature of basketball. Now it's on the offenses to figure out how to get their good shooters good looks. It could be a little bit of a hybrid of both, right? Like maybe the ball made a little bit of a difference, but defenses have also adjusted. But it also could be theory number two. Maybe shooting is regressing. Maybe we'll never see the levels of 2021 again. It could be theory number one. Maybe this is an anomaly and it's nothing at all.